So now I want uh, to talk about something you might have noticed as you try to meditate, to be aware, sitting, walking, and it's what I call mental habits. Very likely you noticed a few. And to me, I know that often the idea in meditation seems to be that I sit in meditation and concentration is to try to stop the thought so that I consider thought like mosquitoes or like flies. But personally, I feel the opposite. I think that when we sit in meditation and there are thoughts, it's very interesting because I think if we want to use meditation in daily life, we need to know what do I think and how do I think it? Because this, is really, because this really influence what we say, how we behave. And I would say one of my first insights I had was when I was sitting in meditation, because I did lots of meditation in Korea as a nun many years ago. And I'd done, uh, you generally sit for 10 hours a day, three months at a time. And then my second retreat, I was a month in my second retreat and I was sitting. And in Korea, you don't do awareness meditation. In Korea, you ask, what is this? That's all you do. So I was doing, what is this? What is this? What is this? And suddenly, it's like a light went on in my mind. And I became, I would say for the first time, in a clear way, aware of what I was thinking and how I was thinking. And what I realized in that moment is that all my thoughts were about me. <laughs> and I kind of suddenly I had this sobering experience of being extremely self-centered. I would say 95%. When up to that moment, I thought I was one of the most compassionate person in the world. <laughs> So it was kind of like adjustment to a reality. And so to me, what I find interesting is to start to, to, you, to have the concentration, you come back, but not to see the distraction as bad thing. For, so that's what I want to talk about now, mental uh, habits. But to see, in a way, to just gently not go in kind of a scientific, psychological analysis, but just to notice, where did, I, where did I go? Because generally it will show you where you go in general. What do I think about? Where does my mind go? And then you can also later look on at what are the shape of my thought? What are the words my thought use? Then you can also look, and that gets very interesting, to see the texture of the thought. And then you can really start to see the beginning of the thought. So personally, I would say thoughts, when we sit in meditation, are information. And of course, there is a fine line between following the thought and getting lost in it and seeing it and just coming back to the breath or to the sound. So in terms of the habits, what I have found over the time is that it seems to me that habits come in three different levels. Light, habitual, and intense. And it's very important to see that these are quite different expression, manifestation of our habits because we need to deal with each level differently. And generally, we try to deal with our habits when they're intense which is the hardest place to work with them. It's so much easier to deal with them at the light level. And to see that it works differently. Intense is when something happens. You, you don't think intensely because everything is like usual. Like my friend on the phone, she was intensely thinking because something had happened. I think it's very important to see 
when we think intensely, it's not because I always think like that, but because something has happened. Then you have the habitual level, which is where your mind has a tendency to go in general. You just oops, go that way. And then you have the light thought, and that's what we can notice over time in meditation. Over time, you start to have just like light thinking. And that, in a way, that's being human. But also working at that level can be interesting. And that three level, it seems to work with the mental habit, physical habit, emotional habit, relationship habit, etc. Working habit, listening habit, etc. But let's just look at the mental habits. So let's first look at the intense level. Something happened and off you go. Once I was helping a friend to move and I was doing that, we were quite a few friends helping him and I was doing that with a friend of mine. And since we were kind of small little ladies, we were just moving small pots, you know, from one place to the other by car. So we did a few, four or five times back and forth. And the whole time, the friend I was doing, moving the pot with was going on. Yesterday, that guy, he said this, but he was so nasty. And really, this was really awful. I am so upset. Three hours nonstop. There's no way to stop her. It was just, I kind of tried to change the subject. No way. Back to the guy. He's so terrible. He said this. How could he say this? And I was nonstop. So it's important to see intent is very obsessive. It just, it's kind of like, as a power of its own, it nearly goes on automatic. Something happens which really generally upsets you, or it can be also a very positive thing. Once I was teaching a retreat, and after three days, this young woman came and said, oh, I'm leaving. I said, what's the matter? She said, well, I was so looking forward to, to come to this retreat for the last six months. And then just before I came, I fell in love. And so I'm sitting meditation and I'm kind of thinking about him and thinking about, you know, like getting married, having children, and, you know, what you do when you fall in love, you know. So she was kind of like, you know, and, and then finally she came to me and said, well, you know, instead of thinking about him, I would rather be with him. So what could I say to that one? So, so then again, something very good can happen and then you go, shh, just round and round and round and then generally comes the proliferation, the amplification, on and on we go. So, and when it's intense like this, I think it's very important that most of the time we will not stop it with meditation. It's very important because it's intense. It's a shock to the system. It has to go through the system. And so we have to have patience. But I think it's important with awareness to see, oh, I am just going round and round in circle here. And so some of the things we can do is, for example, come back to the breath just for 30 seconds. Say to yourself, okay, I am obsessing at the moment because this happened. Let me just come back to a little space for 10 seconds, just be with the breath. Then you go back in the obsession. Then back for 10 seconds to the breath. And so it will not stop it, but generally it will not make it more intense. And then generally... Gently, it will go down. Another thing I do is nowadays my, my mother is getting a little older and she's kind of starting to, her memory is going, to, going a little, so I have to help her more than I used to. I live above and she lives downstairs. And so sometimes I find myself when, you know, I have to take her to the doctor and do this and do that and things happen. And then I go to bed and I'm kind of you know, like kind of worrying about, planning, you know. And then I really am aware that's what's going on because today things have happened a lot. It's on my mind. I am a little worried. And I know if I, if I don't do anything, I'm just not going to be able to fall asleep easily. So then I just read a book, generally kind of a serious book. <laughs> and then it shifts my mind away from that. And then I can go back to sleep. I can, then I can sleep. So I think we have to see what is it that can help me in that moment. Fighting it generally won't help me, but creating space 
or just doing a little something else for a little while, kind of, you know, help it to de-intensify. Then you have the next one, and that's the mental habits. And that if you sit in meditation, generally you start to notice. The first one I noticed when I started to meditate was daydreaming. I started to realize I would spend my time, guess what, daydreaming about going to a hermitage, practicing hard meditation, getting awakened, and saving the world. Until I realized I was daydreaming about meditating. But that was not meditating. And then with daydreaming, I realized, but how does it start? And actually it starts with, what if, or if I had, if I was. And then you go into this wonderful mono-reality where everything goes according to plan. (laughs) And then you tinker with it. And then, I mean, your meditation goes very fast. (laughs) The problem with that is that generally it can lead us to frustration. (coughs) If you do this in daily life, imagine you are too, having this wonderful daydream about the perfect family, the perfect partner, romantic, nice, loving, and the children warm and intelligent and (laughs) full of beans and nice and friendly. And you think, wow, that's so nice, you know. And then they come home and they're really cranky and they shout. And and you think, wait a minute, what's the matter with them? In my dream, they were so nice. You see, that's why we have to be careful daydreaming. It's really abstraction. And then generally, it really leads to frustration because you generally go in the comparison. When I met this lady, was telling me how much she wanted to help people to be rich and to help and save people in the world. And this seems to be kind of a bit obsessive. And I said, but do you have money? She said, no, I have no money at all. And I said to her, but this, you know, kind of leads to frustration. Wouldn't it be better to possibly do just a little tiny thing with just the little money we had or trying to get a little more money? Or... Because just dreaming about it would just make him so her unhappy that she was not rich. So she, she was kind of in a way stuck. And so in a way to see that the daydreaming is not going to be helpful though. Personally, I feel it as, again, a survival mechanism. It is kind of sometimes useful to do it a little, but if you do it too much, then it gets frustrating. And many years ago, I was teaching in in a prison in South Africa, and there was this young man, and I was talking about this, and there was this young man who was saying yes, As I am in jail, I need to daydream a bit so that it gives me hope. If I daydream too much, then I get upset because what I daydream is not possible for the next two, three years. So in a way, it has a function. And I think in terms of creative functioning, it's imagining. We need to imagine. I think this is a, a wonderful creative function we have. But then there is a difference between having the creative functioning of imagining when you want and then getting caught and lost in a daydream. And what is interesting with the texture of daydreaming, it's gooey. It's like a kind of chocolate cake. It's very interesting. And, and to kind of, over time, to, as you sit in meditation and you try to watch the breath, try to listen to sound, and then... If I had, if I was, it's so seductive. So that's what the problem is there. It's so seductive to go into this (laughs) mono-reality. Then the next one we have, which often we notice in meditation, is rumination. You know, the cow, they chew and chew, and then it goes up, and then it goes down, and kind of there is different kind of... And I think we do that a bit. We sit in meditation, everything is fine, And then you remember something somebody did a few months ago or a few years ago. 
they did this, that was terrible, that was so awful. And generally you bring the pain of the past into the present and then it's painful now. You go around a few times now and then you generally go in the future and generally you plot revenge. No, I'm going to meet them again, they'll say this, but I'll say that and I'll get them. Very compassionate activity when you sit in meditation. Huh? And in a way to see in the past, you cannot change the past. We really, that's something we have to accept. We can learn from the past, it be kind of compost for us, but we cannot change the past. We have to in a way accept that. In the future, generally the person never say what you predicted they would say so you can say something so much better. So that generally is not so helpful. And the only thing you can do is cultivate now. Cultivate stability and openness now, creative engagement now, so that when you meet them, you can creatively engage in that moment. But again, rumination... The way to notice rumination is to see, uh-uh, pasting, I have gone in the past, ooh, futuring, you know, you can see, pasting to forecasting, it's kind of like, you can see that, just to see that, that's a way to notice it. And to see that rumination comes from reflection. Of course we need to reflect. It's very useful if something happens, sometimes it's good to say, but how come it happened? What happened? What did I do? What did I say? I did not mean it to go that way. So it's good to reflect. But then to see the difference between what I would call a creative wise reflection to this rumination, which generally does not really help us. Then another one you might have is fantasizing. And fantasizing is kind of, you could say, the negative side of daydreaming. And generally, these start more with a feeling of fear, <gasps> like a feeling of anxiety, a feeling, <gasps> and generally you go in, what if? What if this terrible thing happened? Or what if that happened? Or, and then you go into this whole thing, which generally can really, really frighten you. Once I was teaching a, a retreat, and there was a lady the whole afternoon, she cried. So I, everybody was worried and said, you know, are you okay? Are you okay? She said, no, I'm fine, I'm fine. <laughs> so we, uh, we did not know what happened. And at the end of the retreat, in the sharing, she told us what happened. And she said, I was sitting in meditation. And suddenly I thought, what if my cat is not fed by my friend? He must be starving. He must be dying. And he's dying without me. I can't be there for him when he's dying of starvation. <laughs> and so the whole afternoon she was locked in this negative fantasy until she phoned the friend finally and said, I feed the cat, totally fine, don't worry. And he went, Psh. you know. But it's all to see that sometimes we have a fear. And then... It goes in all kinds of places. And we can really go very far and we can really frighten ourselves. So that we have to be really careful with this fantasizing. But again, it comes from imagination, from, you know, kind of preparing a little. But how much do we need to be prepared for all eventualities? You know, the Buddha said life is, things are unreliable. We don't have to worry about them being unreliable when it's not happening right now. <laughs> I think that's what we maybe have to look at. Then another one we do is planning. So you plan your holiday, you plan your retirement, you plan all kinds of things. But the problem with planning is that you plan then you have the planning of the planning, then you have the remembering of the planning of the planning. I must not forget that I'm planning that. And, and then actually it's quite stressful, all this planning. And so what I would suggest is that when you plan anything, just do it five times. Five plan. Okay, five, now I let you go. 
another five plan of something else. I let it go. Because you see, the more you plan something, generally you get into a loop and there is no creativity. So you, in order to plan in a creative way, we need space. Just kind of planning and kind of, then you start to worry that I'm going to forget it. And then, and then it just gets very stressful, very stressful. So that, but it has a function. I mean, we need to plan to come here. I need to plan to come here. I mean, talk about being in the present. I planned to come here two years ago. So I need to plan. Six, six seven months ago, I need to buy the ticket. But two years ago, I don't need to plan to buy the ticket. Generally, I can wait a little with that. So just being aware of, oh, planning. Do I need to plan as much as that? And the thing, the feeling with planning is in a way comes a little from control. I don't want to be surprised. So I'm going to plan in advance. And once I had this experience of being super planned by people who just kind of lost their teachers and they wanted to invite me as a replacement and they were not sure would people come or not and I had to get an insurance and I had to get that ticket. I was going to a country in Europe and I had never been so planned in my life by any group. <laughs> and then just the day before, just the day before I am going to fly there, I passed to see my mother, and there was the news, and on the news there was this big item, this a flight company has gone out of business, which was my company <laughs> to go there. Her first thought was, great, impermanence, I don't need to go. <laughs> then I thought, well, I'll go. So I booked another ticket. But it was so interesting. You know, you make all the plan in the world, and the last moment, something happened outside of anything you can do. And then you need to creatively engage. Instead, it should be this way. Why isn't it the way I planned? Another one is judging. So judging. And that's a little problematic. You know, you judge. And this, the judging is a little heavy. I think the feeling of judgment is a little heavy. Is this right? Is this wrong? Is it good? This is bad? It's kind of like you have a a judge on your shoulder who never takes any holiday, you know, just <laughs> constantly kind of judging. And in a way, judging is we're trying to be above things and kind of judge it so that, again, there is a little kind of uh, control there. And the problem of the judging is that then you start, when you start to do meditation, then you start to have the judging of the judging of the judging. It's kind of... And so to be very careful not to use a mindfulness to judge. Because often you start to accusing yourself. I'm not compassionate. I'm not mindful. And be careful there. But judging, like planning is very useful. We need to judge. I need to know this is a, a glass of water and this is a bell. I mean, I could try to drink from it, but it would be a bit tricky. Could ring it a bit, but... But that, that I could not uh, drink from it. This would be a little problematic. So I need discrimination. And judging really will become wisdom. So it's an important creative function. But if it goes into this negative habit of judging, then it really is kind of like you feel fixed. You kind of fix yourself, fix other. So with judging, one has to be very careful. With judging, one has to be a little like with a difficult friend. Difficult friend, you know, you still like them, you still want to be with them, but you're a little careful because, you know, they're a little funny, and, you know, so you're kind of just a little careful. It's the same with judging. Judging, you don't want to say, stop judging, because then pff, it just becomes even worse. You give it more intensity. But just, ah, judging, maybe not now. Maybe not now. So very gently. With judging, we want to really try to find a way to humor it, to kind of, you know, just creatively engage with it. So that then it can come back to its creative function. So when you need to judge, you do it. When you don't need, you can let it go. Then you have a subsection of judging. And that's comparing. 
And that comparing is generally very painful. I mean, you can compare, I am better than them. But generally we do the opposite. They're better than me, or they have more than me. And then it makes you experience this really this feeling of lack, of lack, of feeling that everybody has everything you want and you will never get. Then you feel always you're lacking something, you're missing something. It's like there is a hole. And I had a friend who for many years was like that. And so when, whenever I went to see her, I used to try to find something which was bad in my life, which I could talk about to her so she would feel better than me. But it was hard work to do that. And then suddenly her life shifted. And it made such a difference when she stopped doing that. Because until that moment she stopped it, she was really unhappy only looking at what she did not have. And then it was kind of like a shift. And then there was this kind of suddenly she could see all what she had. And then she became such more, so much more happier, so much more joyful. So you know, to be careful when you start the comparing. I mean, of course, it's useful. Comparing, again, it's a creative function. But if it become a habit, it can be really painful. Then another thing we can do is counting, counting. That's actually what uh, uh, you count the money you have in the bank, you count the shoes you have in your closet, you count the number. I mean, nowadays you can count the number of friends you have on Facebook and check them every day, you know, 10 more today, lost to one, ay, 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 what's going on? You know? and, and also we can count. Um, and that, is, I think, is kind of count, like, if you're in a couple. Later, if I can, in the afternoon, I'll talk a little about relationship habits. But you kind of count, you know. He did three of this. Okay, I'll do two of that, you know. Or if, uh, I only do this if he do that. So you kind of count, you know. You kind of uh, constantly counting what the other is doing or not doing. And I think that can be quite painful, this counting. When uh, my husband was in Korea, you walk. You, you walk inside a room. And so you sit for 50 minutes, and then you walk for 10 minutes inside the room. And you do this 10 times a day, three months. And so my husband, Stephen Batchelor, when he was kind of, you know, doing his first retreat and having nothing better to do, he used to, instead of meditating, asking what is this as he was walking, he used to <laughs> count, calculate, you know, how much meter he's walking, and if you multiply it by 10 for the day, the 10 minutes, and then you multiply it, and I don't know, I don't know how many kilometers he got to. <laughs> so, you know, counting as occupying. So just think, do you have a tendency to count? Again, it's useful, you need to know how to count. But when it becomes a habit, and again, it's kind of fixed. So there are many different habits. You might have others. I'm always interested by new ones. So if there is any I have not mentioned, please come to me later to tell me about it because I'm always interested in new ones. So that's a habit. And I think, so what I'm trying to say is that there the key in terms of the meditation is to come back to the anchor. And coming back to the anchor is what will really help us in terms of not <laughs> feeding the habit. Because what we generally do is feed it. We kind of start to plan, we continue with it. We start to daydream, we continue with it. And the more you do this, the more you will do it. And so the coming back is really what will actually, first you don't feed the habit, and also you dissolve its power, and then it can come back to its creative function. So to me, this is one of the main functions of concentration, is to help us there. And that's why generally concentration works, because it helps us to be more spacious, because you are less constantly thinking, but you more come back to, mm, if you need to plan or to reflect, then you do it. But then when you finished, you leave it, and you're not then caught in this loop. Then you have the last level, and this is light. And this is the easiest level to work with, so I would really encourage you to do that, to just see, oh, I am planning. 
And so there you have trains of thought. You start with Aunt Olga. You end up in New York. You have no idea how you got there. You kind of, you know, connection. Off you go. Or you have light planning, light this. I mean, one of the things I used to do until I noticed it was luggage making because I travel a lot. So six months before going to Mexico, I would think, you know, what should I put in my luggage? Until I kind of saw, ah, luggage making. So now I only do it two weeks before I go. Then I start, okay, luggage making. But just to see, ah, luggage making. Ah, this story, that story. And in a way, do I need to think about this right now? I think in that way, the questioning, the looking deeply can help us in terms of, it's not that I must stop thinking. I think it's very important that we think, that we use our brain. I mean, that's what it's there for. So, I mean, the fact that you have thought when you sit, I think, is a good sign. It means your brain, your brain is firing. That's good. But then it's what is it firing and what is it you are cultivating? And so it's just to see that actually with the concentration and with the looking deeply, what we're do, doing is one of the things with the looking deeply is, is this true? You know, what I'm thinking, is this true? That I think is an important one. You know, I'm always stupid. Is this true? You might time to time make mistake, but always stupid? I doubt it. It's hard to keep it up. Every minute, every second, every day, every month, every week. You can't keep up this kind of thing. So in a way, to, to kind of like checking, I think that's one of the things with the looking deeply experiential inquiry is that, hmm, do I need to think about this right now? Like when I'm trying to sleep and I'm worrying about my mother, that's not going to change anything. You know, like before, uh, like recently somebody asked me, you know, are you worrying about your mother? And I said, not at all. You know, when I'm there, yes, because I take care of it. But I am in America. She's in France. My sister and are there. That's their job to worry about it. Not me. I follow every three days to check everything is okay. Outside of that, I don't worry about it. Because what's the point? It's not going to make any difference. So in a way to see, do I need, to me this is one of the questions, do I need to think about this right now? That's also one question. I kind of, to me, the looking deeply, the experiential inquiry is about questioning, not questioning every two minutes, because then we get all kind of tense up. But time to time, hmm, do I need to continue to plan this? Do I need to, can I just have a little space? I think in a way to, to enjoy the fact that we can have space within our thinking process. And actually, Space often will help us to be more creative. And as a writer, that's often what I do. I just throw a few thoughts, a few thoughts, a few lines of inquiry into my mind. And then I leave it for a day or two. And then I sit down to write. And then it just blossoms. But I think it needs a bit of kind of manure of ideas then I need to let it be so there is some space. It can bubble on its own. And then I can creatively engage with it. So that's what I would kind of suggest with the thought. How can we creatively engage with our thought? So that's what I wanted to say. Are there any questions or comments? Yes. Do you think the aspect of the judgment especially using the judgment is mainly uh, negative towards oneself. Um, do you see any kind of cultural component to that in terms of America or the West that comes into play? Often I think it is, um, I think it's a kind of a human function. <coughs> but I think actually it seems to me it has more to do uh, with two different things. One is actually more family background. You see, if, you have a te- if your parents have a tendency to criticize, mm-hmm. you know, criticize and have a... Also, I think it comes a little from perfection. There is two things. Outside, I think often it comes more from the family. If your parents have a tendency to criticize, to be critical, 
then it's, you start to do the same. Then also, I think, if within ourselves we have a high standard, what I would call too high standard, like kind of a, a little of a notion of perfection. I must be the best. I must be good at this. I must not make mistake. Then generally, then you kind of start to have the judging. Because again, you have to, if you have that up there, then back to the comparing. I am not up there yet. You know, it's a bit like the ideal meditator. Often you sit in meditation and next to you, you have the imagine ideal meditator. No thought, no pain, floating. <laughs> I mean, compared to that one, you're really not very good. But that one does not exist. You only have the one right here, right now, who's trying to do the best he or she can. So I think, to me, it, it, it is different things coming together. But it's also, and I will talk about this later, it's also about how you feel. I think it's very important to see now, in order to talk about it, I have to differentiate between mental habit, emotional habit, physical habit. But actually, they all contribute to each other. And so sometimes you, you feel an unpleasant feeling, told, and that then start to be to criticize because if I feel bad, something must be wrong. I must have done something wrong, or whatever it might be. So I think why we judge, why we criticize, I think it's because of many different things. And that's why, what, that's why personally I would say what is interesting is what is the shape of my judgment? What is it I am judging? What is it I am criticizing? And how am I doing it? Is it in terms as I should, I must? Is it in terms of I am good, I am bad, I'm right, I'm wrong? They are right, they're wrong? Is it I am not good enough? So it's kind of, or is it kind of like a feel, a kind of unpleasant feel, and then it goes into that? So that's what also is interesting to see. Is it more the thought that dominates, or is it more the, the feeling tone that dominates with then generally? give rise to the thought. So then to use awareness, not to, to focus on it all the time, but time to time, to, when it's kind of light, to notice it, when you, you feel quite fine, and suddenly you have this kind of critical thought about yourself, about others. And then to see what's the shape. What am I telling myself exactly? Then it beca can become quite a revelation and then you can question it. Is it true? Do I need to do this now? Or different things like that. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, I noticed that when I, when I, in times in my life when I have practiced meditation, you know, more frequently, um, the single personality breaks apart into all these little pieces and there is like a, an adult in the background sort of checking everybody out and then there is a kid like a, a little sidekick that is doing all this crazy thinking and obsessive and all that and then there is like a middle person who's sort of mediator so when I when I practice and not only meditation but also 12-step program um, I notice that I can actually be objective and I can see this committee <laughs> And I do not become a hostage to the lesser, you know, participants in there. And, and so uh, perhaps it is, you know, being in touch with right here, right now that, that provides that, that space that you're talking about. And which I, you know, I wish I, 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 you know, I mean, the fact that I know this doesn't make it any easier for me to be disciplined enough to keep it up, I mean, unfortunately. So that's, I just wanted to say that. But, but again, I would say, you see, I don't think we need to actually do a lot of meditation to try to develop what I would call stability and openness, or what I would call creative engagement, creative awareness. What I think, in a way, is to turn, in a way one of the key things, in terms of what you're speaking about, is to remember that I can do it. It's remember that it would be a good idea to do it. But of course, when you feel good, 
you remember to do it. <laughs> but when you feel tired, out of it, it's like, you know, the breath, who cares, nearly. So in a way, it's kind of like, how can I do it when I feel good? Remember, I can do it. I don't need to do it for 30 minutes, but I can do it for five minutes or just a minute. Just be aware of the breath for a minute. And you can do that several times in the day. You don't have to need alter or cushions or anything like that. And then when you are a bit tired or things are not going so well, then to see that maybe the best thing is not to sit, but the best thing could be to do walking meditation. Just go for a little walk, five minutes, just a little walk. If you can, if there is any greenery looking at the tree or whatever, or listening to some music, just five minutes. Just a kind of a little stopping, a little being. So I think it's kind of also to, to not think about, in terms of meditation, what is the most I can do, but what is the least I can do. And also the forms that seems to work for me. Let it be loving kindness, listening, being aware of the body. What is it that helps me? Time to time to just stop, to be aware in a way which not, doesn't stress me out. Because that's what one does not want, you know. That then using the mindfulness to stress oneself out more is not useful. But what is it that, you know, is it to be aware of my body? Or So I think, again, to look at that. Yes, and there was somebody here. No, right there. I, I appreciate and I'm... Um... The, the, the insight into when, when thoughts become, uh, become distracting and, and one needs to leave them and planning and, we, and, and planning goes to uh, becomes obsessive. Sometimes there's, there's an experience where, where, some, where there is a problem, where, where you have an experience and the planning in the mind goes to something that's not working out and it just arrives in your, in your mind. Uh, that 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 something's not feeling right, or that 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 one plus three equals four, and you hadn't realized that, and the and the decision or the 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 mind takes you to a, to an awareness that that uh, that one needs to take an action, or that 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 the, could you uh, could you speak to the discernment between uh, an awareness that 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 there is a, a use that, that useful construct um, versus the distracting one? Sure. I think what is important to see that um, some thoughts are good thoughts. I mean, you know, that's why, you know, sometimes it's uh, not helpful, but sometimes it's quite helpful. So I think there is different aspect. For example, sometimes uh, as you sit in meditation, you suddenly have a really good idea. You know, suddenly, hmm, you have not had it before. It's kind of new and it's fresh and hmm. And then you, you're starting to think about it a bit. You're starting to develop it. And I think that's quite useful until you get to a point when then the creativity goes and then you are actually more repeating it or trying to remember it so you don't forget it. And then I would say, when you reach that point, let it be. Because if it's a good one, you will remember it later. You don't have then to kind of obsess about remembering it. But what you might talk about is when you have a problem and you have to make a decision. And then you do what I would call meditative creative thinking. So that your focus is that. And I would say you think about it every day for 30 minutes. So you give it some good 30 minutes every day. And you think about it. You focus on it. But you try to think about it differently. Because generally when we think about something, we generally go round and round in circle. You know, I must resolve this, I must resolve this, but if I do this, this will happen. If I do that, that will happen. And, and you kind of get a little stuck. So it's how can you bring creativity within that? How can you think about this differently? How, and also I think what I would suggest with any decision is to be careful not to think, I make this decision and it will impact the rest of my life forever after. <laughs> I would say if you make a decision, think about the impact for the next two years at the most, five at the most, very most. Because if you think, if I do this, then my whole life, will, 
I mean, you can't take the decision because it's a big risk. But if you think about next six months, next two years, that is, I think, more reasonable. So being careful with the way you frame it too. And also to see it's back to, I think it's good to think about certain subjects like that for 30 minutes. How would somebody else think about it? Can I think something I've never thought before about this? And then leave it. Give it space. Then the next morning, take it up again. Once I had a lady on a retreat who came to me and she had this problem that she wanted to stay on the retreat. And at the same time, she really felt she needed to go home to celebrate a certain special occasion with her family. And so she came to me in tears. I don't know what to do. One minute I want to go and be with them. Another minute I want to stay here. And she was really torn. And I said to her, you know, just sit down, meditative, creative thinking, you know, think about it a bit and then let it be. And then she disappeared. So I thought she's gone. And then she reappeared. I thought she did not go. (laughs) And then she came to explain to me that she thought, I can still stay and I can still go. So because she was not far, she went to celebrate in the morning at breakfast time. And then she came back to the retreat and did the end of the retreat. And to me, what was beautifully that she found it herself, that I did not kind of tell her. I just said, try, you know, give it space, think about it a bit and see what happened. But naturally, she found a solution. But as long as she stayed, I must do this, I must... Then she was she, she could not go anywhere. Um, li- listening to your uh, responses to questions, you you have uh, put forth some ideas about how to cope with things, and it seems to me that. What you're talking about is is developing healthier habits, and rather than giving up habits, you're talking about. And so, how do you how do you do that? How do you develop a, a healthy habit? How do you create a, you know a a new habit instead of a a, 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 a bad one? Well, personally, I mean, since I am a meditation teacher. I would say meditation can help. <laughs> I mean, this is uh, kind of a little my speciality. So, and that's the way it has helped me. Uh, the meditation has helped me. So that would be one of my solutions. Would be in a way in order. Because you see, why are we kind of in a way taken over by painful habits? Is because before we know it, we're caught. That's generally the thing. It's kind of, it's so habitual. It's kind of, it's kind of like we are a little inclined. You know, we like this. And things are going, you know, relatively fine. And then something happens and then we go down. And often we go down before we even know it. So it goes very fast the way we go into habits. And so I think in order to, I mean, the point is there. The moment where it's not there and the next moment is there. And in order to have more ability not to go so much into it, generally we need what I would call stability. We really need the, uh, kind of to have certain grounding, stability, some kind of uh, something within us, which kind of will create a little space so that instead of having this automatic thing, it will be kind of like nearly you, you're seeing yourself going in it. You see, I see, I see this, um, this way as kind of like what I call the four stages, the four stages of letting go. And so the first stage, uh, you have just barely maybe thought about doing meditation or something of that nature. And it's a, it's a stage when you realize you have habits which are painful. And the way you get to know it is that you go through the cycle of the habit and then at the end of it, when it's finished, because generally it does finish at some point, oh, I did this. Maybe it was not a good idea. Then it happens again. Hmm, I did it again. (laughs) Not such a good idea. 
that to me is already something to see that, oh yes, I do this and it's really not helpful. Then when you start, you might start to do it in my scheme, when you start to do meditation, you start to be more aware, then you find yourself in the middle. You are in a full-blown habit, very angry or upset or whatever it is. And then because of the meditation, you are so aware of it and it doesn't make a difference. That I would say is the most frustrating. But at least before you did not know, and you could enjoy being angry or whatever. <laughs> now you know, so you kind of see yourself in it, and you think, wait a minute, this is a bad idea. This is not useful. And you can't change it. Just being aware of it doesn't change it, because the power of the habit is quite strong. But being aware of it in the middle actually generally dissolve a bit the amplification. Then generally it finishes faster than before. It's kind of less intense. Then you have the third stage, which then you start to see what are the conditions that give rise to the habit. Because to me, that's what is interesting. What are the conditions that give rise to the habit? And so, when, once you see, the, tree, you see the, the, the condition there, when it started a bit, generally I would recommend creative distraction. Because the power is still there of the habit. So in order to help yourself, generally you need to do something else kind of read a book, go and meet a friend, whatever it might be that helps you to just a little going another path. You choose to go somewhere else. And then you have the fourth one, which then you see it before it happens. Like you have all the conditions are such that you're going to go into the habit. And just before you go into the habit, you see yourself. And then you actually have the choice. And then the power of the meditation, the power of the creative awareness you've been developing helps you to see that can I, maybe I can do something different this time. The last 30 years I've done this. But today, possibly I can do something different. And what is interesting is that at that moment you get an incredible fear. Because actually we prefer the pain of the known than the non-pain of the unknown. But if you have enough power of awareness, you do something different and then it feels so easy. And you wonder, why did not I do this before? <laughs> and then you can never do it again. And that's because of compassion. Because then you realize how painful the habit was for you and how painful it was for others. And then you become creative. And within the same condition, you start to creatively engage. But then, you see, each, to me, each of these steps is an important step. And it will depend on what the habit is, how much, where we will be with them. Some are very conditional in a way, and you can actually, once you see them once, they really go. And then some, I think they will stay all our life, but actually they will diminish in quantity. They will diminish in intensity. Instead of being caught for a week, you caught for a day. Instead of a day, you caught for 10 minutes, which for me is a, an improvement. Yeah? Thank you for that. Um, the actual description of, how, of the process. Because what I was going to say um, before you began was that I think also, at least for me, a felt sense becomes possible after you go through um, inquiry and have the uh, capability of risking change and risking the um, concept, you know, the idea of conceiving that something else would be an option. And then that something else allows a lot of space and it, and it, it needs space and it allows space. And then there is this felt sense, which for me is also very, um, it's, it's inspirational because I can choose to do something if it really is something I'd like to do, or I could choose not to do it without pain, you see. So that has that wonderful sense of, of balance, in a sense. And 
you know, it, it's a lot of work over a lot of years, but, you know, it definitely gets you to that place where you can really feel a lot of your own um, capability and capacity to make that choice. You see, to me, this is one of the, of the functions of uh, with the concentration and the inquiry, we developing quietness and clarity, which together we develop becomes creative awareness. And I would say two aspects of the creative awareness: one is acceptance, and the other is transformation. And I think we need to be to see clearly and accept before we can change anything. But the acceptance is not like being resigned. I am like this; can't help it. Too bad. But it's more, ha, ah, the same when I saw all my thoughts were about me. I did not think I was a terrible Buddhist. I thought it was funny. I thought, wow, that's what the problem is. Okay. And then I saw everybody else was the same. So I thought, oh, well, then we're all in the same boat. And then I could see what was the work. What I had to do was to work on that. So I think, totally agree with you, one party is very much acceptance an acceptance which is really spacious and clear. And then either you accept it, because at that moment that's the only thing you can do, or the condition are such that you can transform. Something can be changed. Yes, at the back. Um, earlier you talked about... Um, obsessive thinking and having to let it work through the system. But I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about some real trauma and if, if um, there are any other suggestions on how to work through a very, very traumatic situation. You see, then this might uh, come more with what I'm going to do next, which is about uh, emotional habits. Because I think trauma... Yes, you can have like, you know, story in the mind, but I think trauma is more about a felt sense in the body. And so the problem with trauma is that it really like is a, such a big shock to the system that then whenever there is some pain, which is not due to the trauma, but due to life happening, then it gets stuck there. So it's kind of like what I would call associative pain. And so it kind of nearly seems to reawaken that initial intense pain. In, in France, we have this um, saying that uh, a cat who's been scalded, burned by hot water, will fear cold water. And I think it's the same here because the pain was so intense. It's kind of, after that, any pain is too much nearly. And so there is this kind of association. But I think there it's more about uh, physical sensation and emotional sensation. It's not there. It's not just about thought. It's kind of like the way you feel in the body and how you can be with that. And that's what I want to, to look at next. So maybe I, that will cover a little and then we can look at it again. Okay? So shall we do this? So if we can just stand up just to stretch, and then we'll do another meditation. Before people are going uh, for a break, I think we've been an hour, so I think maybe we should do walking meditation first instead of sitting meditation. So if we could do a little 15 minute meditation until a quarter past 12. I want the break to be from one to two. So we still have an hour together this morning. So what I would suggest is that as you walk back and forth or walk uh, wherever you like to walk, could, be, could you be aware as you walk, so you anchor in the body, but then to be aware, try to be a little aware of what is the emotional feeling tone where I feel some emotion generally. Maybe the heart, the belly, 
the neck, wherever you feel your emotion, and just time to time to go there, to just be aware of it, but not defining the, uh, the sensation, emotional sensation, just how does it feel in the body? And also, how does it come and go and shift? Look at it a little, a few seconds, a minute, then you go back to the body walking. Then again, time to time, looking at that place within yourself. And then we'll back here in uh, 15 minutes. <laughs> 